now we're back in, 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 in our gospel here. And let me tell you something. We're going to learn this morning. We're going to learn from the gospel of Mark how to be a world changer. Do you know that I think God wants not only me, but all of us in this church to be world changers. People that make a difference for the kingdom. Otherwise, we'd just be raptured out of here once we got saved. God leaves us here to be world changers for his kingdom. We could all be world changers, but we're going to learn from two of the greatest world changers that ever lived from Mark chapter 1 this morning. John the Baptist, who, by the way, Jesus said up until his birth, no one greater than John the Baptist has been born. He was a world changer. And then we're going to learn from the greatest man that ever lived, the greatest world changer that ever lived, and that's Jesus Christ. We're going to learn from both of these guys' example here in chapter 1 on how to be world changers. You know, the older I get, the more I want to be a world changer. Because I think that phrase is true. We only have one life to live. It'll soon be passed. And only what we do for Christ is going to last. And I think, I think God wants every person in this room that's a believer in Jesus Christ to be a world changer. And we're going to learn from two of the greatest examples of that in Scripture. John the Baptist and Jesus here in Mark chapter 1. Amen? You guys ready to get into it? Mark chapter 1, verse 1. If you're, if you're there, say amen. Okay, here we go. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now I want you to say, see something here. This is the beginning of the gospel, the very first gospel written, I believe, the gospel of Mark. And it's, the gospel is good news. The good news of Jesus. That's what the gospels, I love studying the gospels. You know why? Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about his story. You know, you know what history is? History to me is his story. And that's what the gospel is. It's awesome. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And also, it's interesting, Jesus Christ is, oftentimes you think that that's his name. No, it's not. Jesus is his name, which means Jehovah is salvation. Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. But his title is Christ. It's the anointed one. It's the Messiah, the Mashiach. It's the Savior of the world. That's what Christ means. Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. It's not his name, it's his title. And he is the Son of God. He's deity. And as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now these are two verses, Malachi 3.1 and also Isaiah 43. And they're Old Testament scriptures talking about this one who's going to be in the spirit of Elijah that's going to come before Christ and prepare the way. And that's what John the Baptist did. He prepared the way. He, and, and interesting, there's some analogy there because what would happen in that culture at the time before a king would come to a city there'd be somebody who would prepare the way for that king. And they'd come in as the messenger into the city saying, the king is coming, the king is coming. And they'd prepare the way. And then they'd also prepare the way by getting the paths for the king ready. They would do road repair. Because the king would come in in his chariot. He'd come in with his horses, and they didn't want things not to be smooth for the king, so they'd prepare the road. See what John the Baptist did? He declared, the messenger, the king is coming. And then he prepared the way. Now, how did he prepare the way? By people's hearts being right. It says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea were going out to him. All the country, it says. And all the people of Jerusalem. 
And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now, you need to understand, there was a period of silence before John the Baptist. For 400 years, there was no prophet. The heavens went silent. There was no prophetic voice of God for 400 years. And all of a sudden, this prophet arises. And he's anointed. And the voice of God is being heard in Israel again. And the people are coming out in droves. Whole regions. We're told by some historians that John, for a period of months, was baptizing out there by the Jordan a thousand people a day. We just baptized 50 people. I'm going, boy, that was a lot of people. Can you imagine a thousand people a day being baptized? Amazing. And the voice of God was being heard again. And they were confessing their sins. And notice verse 6. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching. And he was saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I am. And I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, John said. But he'll baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to see a few things here from John that we're going to learn this morning about being a world changer. First thing you've got to see. You've got to see this. He told people the truth. He wasn't telling people what they wanted to hear. He was telling people the truth and what they needed to hear. And he was telling them, man, it wasn't a watered-down message. He was telling them, you need to repent. That's what repent mean. You need to change your mind that will lead to a change of direction. You need to make U-turns for Christ. He said, you're going the wrong way, Israel. You're going the wrong way, people. Repent. And I tell you what, church, that's in dire need in our culture today. In this cancel culture we're in right now, in this politically correct environment, the church and Christians, we can't water down the truth of God's word to be politically correct. We gotta be people that are telling people the truth. Because only the truth is gonna set people free. Only the truth is gonna save people. Only the truth is gonna get people to repent and start confessing their sins. And only the truth is gonna get this nation back to where it needs to be. It's not about politics. It's not about government. It's not about politicians. It's about Jesus. And only the repentance and coming to Christ is gonna save this country. Amen? Amen. And we gotta tell people the truth, man. Even though it's hard sometimes. I'm so grateful for the guy that told me the truth. The guy was witnessing to me for months before I came to Christ. His name was Bruce Barkley. Love that guy. I didn't love him at the time. I was a 17-year-old, lost, rebellious, just out there, 17-year-old teenager that just thought he knew everything. And Bruce Barkley was a guy that got saved when he was seven years old and was on fire for Christ from that day on. I'm so glad that he took me on for six months. He walked home with me from school every day after school, purposely. After gymnastics practice, we were on the same team, and he'd walk home just with me. I couldn't stand him for a whole season at that time, though, because the guy was so, he would tell me, he'd tell me the truth, and it drove me nuts because he was one of those guys, he demanded respect because he was an all-American gymnast. He was probably about almost an all-American tennis player, very athletic, and he was cool. And he wasn't telling me what I wanted to hear. And man, it ticked me off. Because I could not listen to this guy. Because I respected him so much. But at the same time, he was telling me things like, hey, John, you're, 
you keep living the way you're living, and if you don't receive Christ and something happens to you, you're going to go to hell. I'm going, you crazy. I'm not going to, I'm a good person. I'm nice to people. Because you're not a good person. You're a sinner in need of a savior. I'm going, oh, look at this, you know. Barbs. And then finally, I, I remember one day we were walking home from school, and I said, I said, Bruce, listen, quit telling me about this gospel and about Jesus Christ because I'm fine. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. There's a book about that right now. We're all okay. Read the book, Bruce. And he looked me right in the eye. I'll never forget. He looked me right in the eye. He said, you say you're a Christian, John, but you wouldn't be living the way you're living if you were really saved. You need to get saved. And man, that made me mad. You know why it made me mad? Because it was truth. And he was exactly right. And my soul resonated with that truth because even though I didn't like it, it was true. I needed Jesus. Then a month after that, I came to Christ. And I was set free. And I was saved. Because someone had the audacity to tell me the truth. And you know what? <laughs> uh, a couple years ago, a few years ago, I was in Arizona. Bruce is a computer engineer for Intel in Phoenix. And I was doing a funeral out there, actually, for Heidi's stepdad. I officiated his funeral. And I purposely set up a breakfast appointment with Bruce Barkley. I hadn't seen him in 20 years. And I said, I want to do breakfast with the guy that led me to Christ. We had pancakes in Phoenix. And I sat down with him. I said, Bruce, thank you so much for telling me the truth. Thank you so much for leading me to Christ. Thank you for changing the total trajectory of my life because you had the audacity to tell me the truth. And thank you for being a world changer in, in the way you just lead so many people to Christ. He just kind of smiled over the pancakes. And he said, you know what? You're the third pastor that I've led to Christ. <laughs> and I'm going, that's awesome. That is awesome. He said, there's three pastors now preaching the word because... He has the audacity to tell these lost people that they needed Jesus. Now they're telling other lost people they need Jesus, and they're preaching the word. It's awesome. You want to be a world changer, you got to tell people the truth. Second thing I want you to see here about, uh, about John the Baptist was he was not only a truth teller who wasn't afraid to tell people they needed to repent, but also, look at this, he was radical. What's the dude eating out in the wilderness? And don't tell me those locusts are tree bark. Some people say the locust is just tree bark and stuff like that. I looked up the Greek word for locust there. You know what it is? It's a bug. He's out there in the wilderness eating bugs. Now, he tempered it with some wild honey, give him that. But he's eating bugs. He's got a camel hair you know, coat with a leather belt. And he's out there preaching repentance to thousands of people. The dude was radical. I told people that last service, let's be radical. This family dinner or this Wednesday night, we're having locusts with wild honey. Come on. I said, no, I'm just kidding. Come to dinner this Wednesday night. But I want you to see something here. He was radical. He was radical. We need radical Christians today if we're going to change the world. Quit being, going with the current of our culture. Let's be a little bit different. What does the word holy mean? It means to be different, to be separated from the culture around us and be different, 
Be a holy people. You're a royal people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation for God's own possession. And we're supposed to be people that have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of the one who saved us. And a part of that is we got to be radical. We got to be, as, as Jesus talked about in the message in, uh, in the book of Revelation, don't be lukewarm, Christians. Either be hot or cold, because if you're lukewarm, if you're just going with the current of this world, it makes him sick. That's the literal translation. It makes him want to throw up when people that he saved are half-hearted, lukewarm Christians. Let's not go there. Let's be radical. Let's be different. Those are difference makers. People are willing to be radical. I heard one person uh, talk about, you know, this person's a fanatic, you know, this this person goes to church Sunday morning, Wednesday night, you know, goes this, that. And a lot of you are radical here at Calvary Chapel. I mean, we got people going to Sunday morning, got people Wednesday night, we got men's breakfast, women's breakfast. And some people say, well, that's radical. You're just being a fanatic for Jesus doing that. You know what if, I heard one person say, he said, you know what a fanatic for Jesus is? It's someone who just loves Jesus more than you do. That's interesting, isn't it? Let's go, let's, let's be all in, Amen. John the Baptist was all in. He was radical. Not only was he radical, also what made him a world changer? He was humble. Look what he said about Jesus. He said, there's one coming who's, who's greater than I am, way greater. He's so great, this one that's coming. He said, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of this one that's coming. I just baptized with water, John the Baptist said, but he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, right? What's he doing there? He's telling the people that are coming out by thousands who are, who are coming out for him to be baptized by him. He said, no, 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 I'm nothing, he's everything. He said in John 3.30, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. And he's pointing to the fact, as, he, as Jesus is coming on the scene now, he's going sh- to point all these people away from himself into Jesus Christ. He's going to say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if you want to make a difference for Jesus Christ in this world, it can't be about you anymore. It's got to be about Jesus. Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself. You're not worthy of me if you don't take up your cross and deny yourself. And then he said this, if you want to find your life, here's the key to finding life. Lose it. And what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? I love Jim Elliott, famous missionary that died serving Jesus in South America. In his journal, he wrote before he died, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, notice, to gain what he cannot lose. Let's be difference makers, and it's not about us anymore. Our existence isn't just for self-gratification and self-fulfillment and self-actualization. Our existence as Christians is to serve the one that died for us. And that's Jesus Christ. And you will find meaning and purpose and joy in serving Jesus when he's first and you're not. You know, joy is great acrostic for that. Joy is this. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And then you could be a difference maker, just like John the Baptist. He must increase and we must decrease. Amen. Okay, that's, that's John the Baptist. Now let's go on with Jesus. Verse 9. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon Jesus. 
And a voice came out of the heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son. In thee I am what? Well pleased. Actually, the literal translation, in thee I am already well pleased. And immediately the spirit impelled Jesus. Another version says, immediately the spirit drove Jesus to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts. And the angels were ministering to him. That's interesting. It says there that Jesus, while after he's baptized, he goes out to the wilderness for 40 days and he's in a spiritual war with Satan. We know from the Gospel of Matthew, there's actually Satan was twisting God's word, trying to get Jesus to sin and do wrong things in this attack upon Jesus Christ. And he said a number of things to Jesus. He said, hey, since, or literally translated, uh, 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 if you're the son of God, he said, but literally translate, since you're the son of God, do this, do this, do this. Since you're the son of God, turn these rocks into bread because you've been fasting for 40 days. And Jesus said, hey, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Hey, since you're the son of God, take yourself up to the pinnacle of the temple and jump off. And he said, no, no, no. The word of God says he countered the twisting of God's word with God's word. And he said, hey, no, no, no. The word of God also says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Hey, since you're the son of God, do this. I'll, I'll show you all the kings of the world. If you bow down to me, he said, I will, I'll give you all these kingdoms. He said, no, no. The Bible also says, Jesus, it is written. He said, you only worship the Lord your God only. I'm not going to worship you. He confronted the temptations of Satan with the word of God. But the, the thing that I want to, first thing I want you to see about Jesus here and being a world changer, he was also a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that what happened as he's being baptized is this Holy Spirit just descended on him like a dove. Why do we got all these doves around here at Calvary Chapel, by the way? We got a dove up here. We got a dove on the bulletin. We got a dove on the sign out there. What's it? Do we just like doves around here? No, we got doves because it's a sign of the Holy Spirit. And our movement, Calvary Chapel, was a movement of the Spirit. Our movement began with all these hippies coming to Christ and the Holy Spirit just fell upon the original Calvary Chapel and there was revival. We are, our heritage is a, a movement that's driven by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? If we're gonna make, continue to make a difference, Zechariah 4, 6 says it's not by our might, nor it's by our power. It's only going to be by the Spirit. And if you want to be a world changer for Jesus Christ, you ain't going to do it by your genius plans or your abilities or your human ingenuity. You're going to do it by the Spirit. And that's what Jesus was all about. He was a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was a man that was impelled driven by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says we are to walk in the Spirit. We're going to go in the direction of the Spirit and we're to live Spirit-filled lives if we want to make a difference. What's a Spirit-filled life? Ephesians 5, 18 to 20 tells us all about the Spirit-filled life. It says this, don't get drunk with wine for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with their hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Hey, if we're going to make a difference for the kingdom, we've got to be people of worship. People that are always singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Because why? Because God's spirit inhabits the praises of his people. You know, I am musically inept. 
I didn't get any of the genes for good music. I'm sorry. I, I just had, I, I was telling the last service, when we have songs where we clap, I can't sing and clap. Or it gets very embarrassing. I'm trying to sing. I'm, I mean, everybody else is doing this over here. I'm doing this. You know, I, uh, people ask me, do I play anything? I say, yeah, I play some. The, the instruments, I, what, they ask me if I'm playing, you know, to think about musical instruments. So I, yeah, I could play. And they say, what do you play? The radio. That's all I could play. And, but you know what? I love to worship. I love it. So much so that Heidi is on a consistent basis. Turn that down. That's too loud. I'll be in the shower and I'm just cranking worship songs. I, this morning I was doing it. Oh, in the shower, singing. I love it. And, and I make a joyful noise to the Lord even though I'm musically inept. And why do I love making a joyful noise? Because it fills me with the Holy Spirit. Singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. That's a part of the spirit-filled life. And speaking to one another with psalms and hymns. That's talking about the importance of being so filled with God's word that it becomes a part of your DNA that you're speaking God's word just naturally because God's word's in you. And it's, if it's in you, it's going to get out of you. And it helps you make, be a difference maker as you're filled with the spirit, you're filled with his word, and you're just whoo, with God's word all the time with people. It'll make a difference. And always giving thanks. Hey, you can't be a spirit-filled Christian and be complaining and whining and negative. Woe was me. No. You want to change the world, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be a thankful person. You'll be, that's a part of the spirit-filled life. And you know what? It makes a difference. When people see Christians being who they're supposed to be, filled with the Holy Spirit and worshiping Jesus, just, oh, worship. You see that. You see that glow upon Christians that are worshiping Christians and Christians that are giving thanks all the time, no matter what life's are, you're rejoicing the Lord always and you're being Christians that are filled with God's word, spirit-filled, you're going to make a difference for the kingdom. And that's who Jesus was and that's who we're supposed to be. Amen? Let's go on now with our with Jesus and our example we're looking to. And it says, and after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And he was saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Same message as John the Baptist. He's telling people the truth. The truth is you need to repent. Repent, Jesus says. Interesting, same exact message as, as, as John the Baptist. And believe in the gospel. And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And what did he say? I will make you become what? There it is, fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and he saw John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. Notice, they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with hired servants and went away to follow Jesus. That's amazing. They left their professions. I mean, even uh, James and John, who probably was a part of their, their father, Zebedee, probably had a very successful uh, fishing business to the point that their, their father had hired servants on the boat. That's a successful business right there. And they left it all to follow Jesus. And then I want you to see something here, too. It's, it says this, that, that as, as Jesus was calling these guys, he said, guys, follow me 
And I'm going to change your profession from catching fish, physical fish, to catching men through what we're going to do. Interesting. That's the next thing we learn from Jesus, is he reproduced himself spiritually through discipleship. And he was a reproducer of Christianity in other people's lives. And I'm telling you, church, if we are going to do what we're supposed to do, and we're going to not only be telling people the truth, we're not only going to be radical, but we're also going to be people that get other people to come to Christ. We fish for them. And as we fish for them, we bring them to Christ. Because a part of following Christ is being fishers of men. The, the two go together. Jesus says, if you follow me, you will become fishers of men. Now, interesting thing here too, it's a little side note. Seven of Jesus' main disciples were fishermen. I think I would have picked some scholars. I would have picked some people that were well-educated. I would have picked some people that just didn't catch fish for a living. Why did he pick fishermen? Because fishermen, they persevere until they catch something. Fishermen are often patient on waiting for those fish. Fishermen, especially in this culture, knew how to work with other people in catching the fish. Fishermen would keep fishing until they caught fish. And that's where we're supposed to be in, as disciples of Christ. We're supposed to keep going, keep fishing, keep reaching out, keep throwing the bait out there until we see people come to Christ. And we see reproduction of our spiritual lives in other people. That's what it's all about. Jesus said, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. We did that today. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I've taught you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a part of changing the world. We get this picture Jesus painted that if you follow me, I'm going to start making you fishers of men. Part of following Jesus. Interesting. I was watching that series a while back, The Bible. You remember that series they had? Where they went through the entire Bible on TV. And it was, uh, it was actually made by the, the same guy that makes Shark Tank. And his wife used to be the angel on Touched by an Angel, right? But it was interesting. One of the shows I was watching, it was Peter being called by Jesus out of the fishing business to become a fisher of men. And it, it was a little bit of liberty what they said. is, But, but after the, Jesus said to Peter, hey, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. Peter didn't quite understand it in the TV show. So he said, well, what are we going to be doing as fishers of men? And Jesus just looked at Peter and said, we're going to change the world. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus did. Think about the last 2,000 years. One man and the change this world has had because of Jesus Christ and his disciples changing the world. Still to this day. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be doing, church. And you know what? I'm seeing it more and more here at Calvary Chapel. I'm seeing more and more people here at Calvary Chapel reproducing. And we're seeing growth in the church right now because many of you are reaching out and you're being fishers of men and of women. Last Wednesday night, I was amazed. We had like, and it's not just you adults. It's our teenagers too, by the way. Our teenagers are reaching out to other people and reproducing themselves. It's awesome. They're being world changers. They had 90 people in youth group last Wednesday night. It was like, uh, it was chaos. Organized chaos. Praise the Lord. Where there are many sheep, there's a mess. 
But that's good. Praise the Lord. With the last Wednesday night, I was amazed. We, we, we ran out of tacos last Wednesday night. Because there's so many, we had over 200 people for dinner last Wednesday night. And then and in the service here, there was over 200 people on a Wednesday night Bible study in the sanctuary. That reproduction is happening, and that's a part of following Jesus. Follow me, he says, and I will make you become fishers of men. Amen? And so it goes on in the story, and they went out into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and Jesus began to teach. And they were amazed at Jesus' teaching. For he's teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And just then there was in the synagogue, this is during Jesus' Bible study, uh, in the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. Unclean spirit's demon. And this man cried out. In the midst of Jesus' teaching, he was saying, this is my best attempt at a demonic voice. You ready? What do we have to do with you? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I heard someone repeating that over there. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. What did Jesus do with this demon? And Jesus rebuked him, and he was saying to him, shut up. No, he didn't say that. This is my translation. He said, pretty similar, be quiet. Come out of him. And throwing this... Man into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice. What happened? Demon came out of them. <laughs> and they were all amazed. And they even debated, who is this? Or what is this? And they're basically saying, what in the world's going on in our synagogue? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately the news about him went everywhere into all the surrounding districts of Galilee. Immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew, that's Peter, Simon, with James and John. And now when Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him, spoke to Jesus about the mother-in-law of Peter. And he came to Peter's mother-in-law and raised her up, taking her by the hand. The fever left her. And notice what she does after Jesus heals her. It says that she waited on them. Notice, after Jesus serves her, um, she serves Jesus. Isn't that the natural, the natural outcome of when you're served by Jesus and he heals you and he saves you? What should we be doing? We should be serving him. Amen? It's just natural to want to serve Jesus. If he's touched you and he's healed you and he's saved you, you're going to want to serve him. And that's what Peter's mother-in-law wants to do, just serve him. And she waits on them and serves him. And then verse 32, it says, And when evening had come, after the sun had set, they began bringing to Jesus all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And notice, this is crazy, crazy. Jesus is just at this place, and he's healing people. And then it says, the, and it's Peter, mother, Peter's mother-in-law's house. And all of a sudden, not only is she feeding the disciples probably here and taking care of them, she goes outside, and what happens at her house? I can just imagine Peter's mother-in-law saying, what in the world is this? It says the whole city was at her door. And she's probably going, what is, oy vey, what are all these people doing here? Right? Am I going to have to feed all these people too? And the whole city's at her door. And what does Jesus do? Verse 34, great example of Jesus. Jesus said, okay, that's enough. Go home, guys. No, he said, he healed many who were ill with various diseases. He cast out many demons. 
And he was not permitting the demons to even speak because they knew who Jesus was. That's interesting too. The demons know about Jesus. They know who he is. They have the right theology in regards to that he's the son of God, but they're, they're, they're in hell or they're going to hell and they're not going to heaven. Why? Because they know who he is, but they're not submitted to his lordship and they're not submitted in an experiential, intimate relationship with him. They're in rebellion against him. You could know all about Jesus, but the question is, are you living for him and do you know him? And is he your Lord and is he your Savior? The Bible says in the book of James, even the demons believe with intellectual assent, they believe, but they shudder, they tremble because they're not in a lordship relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. You know, we're in the Bible Belt here, and a lot of people know about Jesus. That's not my question. I don't care if you know about Jesus. I want to know, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you have an intimate, experiential relationship with him? Christianity is not about knowing about Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. That's what it's all about. Amen? But I want you to see something here too. And this is the next point about why Jesus was a world changer. Bottom line, he was a world changer because he helped people. I mean, look at this. This guy's interrupting his Bible study with demon possession. And Jesus, instead of, you know, I'd be tempted in that situation. Ushers, come get this guy. He's, he's get him out of here. Jesus didn't do that. What did Jesus do? He said, come here. Commanded the demon out of him. And he made him whole. Gets to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And she's sick. She's got a fever. And Jesus, let's heal her. Let's take care of her. And then the whole city is at Jesus' door. He didn't send them home. He's healing people. He's setting people free from demons. He's helping people. If we're going to be a world-changing church, if we're going to be world-changing Christians, we have the spirit of Christ that says we're going to be about helping people. And when we have opportunities to help people, we're going to help people. You know, I, lo I love our U-turn for Christ. So we, so we baptized a bunch of U-turn guys during the baptism service. God kind of got my eyes wet a little bit. I love our U-turn guys. I love our U-turn program. And I love that we're doing that because we're seeing drastic life change in people that really need to be helped. And I say, praise the Lord for that. Every time we see a graduation, we have some graduations this morning. Every time I see a guy graduating, getting his life together because we've helped him through U-turn for Christ. I got cartwheels going on in my heart because we're helping people. I love our food pantry. Although it's chaos in our office a lot of times on Tuesdays and Thursdays because they come right to our foyer and we're just giving free food out to anybody that comes on Tuesday and Thursday. But I love that. Why? Because we're helping people doing that, right? And we got some stuff on the Horizon Church we're going to help more people with. We have, we have five acres now out in Gilbert that's getting primed and ready for a women's ranch where we're not only going to help men in U-Turn for Christ, we're going to start helping some women and you turn for Christ too, get set free and get demons out of them and help them be saved and walking with Jesus rather than the drugs and alcohol out in Gilbert too. Amen? I just was on the phone this week with our Spanish pastor who's hopefully going to come here in the next, 
next couple months. He's coming all the way from Calvary Chapel, Honduras, Central America, and he's going to help us start a Spanish service during the 9 o'clock uh, sanctuary service. We'll have a 9 o'clock Spanish service in the cafe. Why are we going to do that? Because we want to help some of the Hispanic people that are coming to our thrift store. We have hundreds of Hispanic people that come through our thrift store, and we're going to get a Spanish service going in, at 9 o'clock, during the 9 o'clock hour, with a guy that's a Calvary Chapel a pastor who's going to start that because we want to help more people. We want to help. And you know what? The church oftentimes gets put in this black eye state of the culture thinking, well, don't go to church because all they're going to want to do is get your money. They, they want to they take your money from you or whatever else like that. I want to have the opposite reputation here at Calvary Chapel Lexington. I want people to see what we're doing here and saying, hey, those Calvary Chapel people, they might be a little different. They meet in these Jesus domes that look like Hershey Kisses. They might be a little different. But there's one thing about Calvary Chapel is, is they're helping people. They're helping people. And if that gets to be our reputation, we're going to be a world-changing church and we're going to have the reputation of making a difference for the kingdom of God. And so let's just keep helping people, amen? That's Jesus. He helped people. And then it goes on, verse 35, and early in the morning while it was still dark, interesting, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions hunted for Jesus. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby in order that I might preach there also. For that is what I came out for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and again, casting out the demons. I want you to see this. Jesus has been busy. I mean, the day before this day, he had spent teaching in the synagogue, casting out a demon with a guy with an unclean spirit, then going to Peter mother, Peter's mother-in-law's house and, and you know, healing her from this bad fever. And then the, the whole city showed up at the door of Jesus. And knowing Jesus, he didn't, he didn't just, oh, spend a couple minutes praying for these. He probably spent into the wee hours of the morning praying for these people, all midnight or whatever else, praying and casting out demons, everything else. And then what does he do the next day? Next day, while it's still dark, probably sometime between 3 o'clock till 6 in the morning, still dark outside, Jesus goes to a lonely place. What does he do? He prays. It's convicting to me. Because I have a quiet time just about every morning. I read my word first thing before I do anything usually, and I pray, but oftentimes I'm busy, I got stuff going on, I don't wake up early enough, and I'm rushing, and I'm getting through this time, and I don't prioritize enough just sitting alone, maybe even early enough where it's dark, solitary places, praying enough. And I know when I work, I work, but when I pray, God works. The prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. And you know what? The world's not going to be changed by our work. The world's going to be changed by us as Christians being on our knees. That's what moves the world, prayer. And I was challenged this week. i got to get back to prioritizing prayer more in my life. And when I start my day taking my time, not rushing through my quiet time, but taking my time praying. My whole day is more productive and it's more blessed by God because I begin the day in the spirit that way. Does anybody else resonate with that besides me? Let's get back to prioritizing that time in the morning more 
or maybe even at nighttime before we go to bed, of just spending time in solitary places alone seeking God's face. Because that's where the blessing's at. And that's where the power's at. And private prayer leads to public power. And we have a saying around here, prayer changes things. Amen? Amen. So let's be like Jesus. Part of being a world changer too is taking the time to be with the Father in solitary places alone. And listen, church, listen, listen. If Jesus, perfect, without sin, God in the flesh, all throughout the Gospels we see him doing this, prioritized spending time with the Father in prayer. (laughs) How much more do we need that time? Martin Luther, in the midst of the Reformation, was so busy reforming the whole church. He began his day one day in his journal. He wrote, I am too busy today not to pray. Because he knew the power of prayer. Amen? Let's close it up now. Final section here. It says, verse 40, And a leper came to him beseeching Jesus, falling on his knees before him, and saying to Jesus, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, verse 41, I love this. He says, was moved with compassion, stretched out his hand. What did Jesus do with this leper? Touched him. Wow. And said to him, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left this leper. That's amazing. And he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent this leper away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely, the leper did, and to spread the news about Jesus to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to Jesus from everywhere. Now, you've got to understand leprosy. We don't have it much in this culture today or in this world today, but in this first century culture, it was an incurable, infectious disease. They at least thought it was infectious, and it was killing people, and it was nasty. It was not only incurable and terminal, but it was also deforming. You'd lose because of your lack of nerve endings and stuff. You would touch things you weren't supposed to touch. You'd burn your hand, and things would disintegrate. You'd lose fingers and noses, everything else, and people were terrified of it. Similar to the pandemic, there's fear throughout the all all the culture because of leprosy. And to the point in the Roman Empire, in Jewish cultures, in Jewish towns, they actually started banning anybody that had any kind of leprosy got banned from that culture. They actually had leper colonies. You had to go outside the city to these leper colonies. And not only that, if you walked around, you had to wear a bell. And whenever you got within a city block of somebody else, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean. And he had to ring the bell. And listen, families would disown you and send you out to leper colonies and say, wives, parents, everybody would say, we could have nothing to do with you. Because you're a leper. You couldn't go to synagogue, you couldn't go to the temple, you couldn't even worship with God's people. You're a leper. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes into this distance or this area of the leper. And the leper says, I can't ring my bell here. I can't separate myself. I've heard this man's a healer. He cried out to Jesus. He said, can you help me? And Jesus put his mask on and walked away. (laughs) What did Jesus do? Jesus went, 
Listen to this. He not only healed them, but before he healed them, what did he do? Church, what did he do? He touched him. Oh! Infectious, incurable, terminal disease. He touched him. And he had compassion on him. And then he healed him. It's amazing. That's my Savior. Ooh. I love Jesus. And you know, we've all had leprosy spiritually. We've had an incurable disease. It's called sin. The wages of sin is death. And 40 some years ago, I was a leper spiritually. I was unclean. I was lost. I was headed for hell quick. Jesus, Jesus was my rescue story. He reached down from heaven with his hand to touch me. And he healed me. He had compassion on this leper, me. And I was a mess. Dad was an alcoholic, and I was on the way to alcoholism myself. I was a mess. And he had the audacity to touch me. He healed me. Last thing I want you to see about Jesus here this morning. He's a world changer. Because he loved the unlovable, and he touched the untouchable. And that's what we're supposed to be doing too. You know, some of those people out there that you think are untouchable, oh, I don't want anything to do with them. They're unclean. They're, they swear. Oh, they drink and they're immoral. I'm, oh, I'm going to stay away from them. Those are the very people we need to witness to and bring the healing of Jesus to and love into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus did. He touched the untouchable. He loved the unlovable. Let's do that too, church. It's our heritage. Not only the Holy Spirit's our heritage with the dove, but our heritage is there was a church called Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, the very first Calvary Chapel out in Southern California. And there was all these young people, hippies, 1965 was when the church started. And the whole church as a whole, especially the conservative, Bible-believing churches, wanted nothing to do with this new generation of hippies. Their hair was too long. Their clothes were too weird. Tie-dye shirts. Their clothes were too weird. That A lot of them didn't even wear shoes. And their music was, ah, I mean, guitars and drums. Oh! And there was a church called Calvary Chapel that said, we're going to pray for these hippies. And now we're going to pray for them. We're going to love them. And now we're going to love them. We're going to invite them to our church. And not only are we going to invite them to our church, but we're going to start even having some of their kind of music with guitars. Oh, no, drums in our worship services so we could relate to them and bring them into the kingdom of God. And not only that, we're going to raise them up to reach other young people. And you know what happened when that, when that church, that little Calvary Chapel with 25 people started loving the unlovable and touching the untouchable? Heaven opened. And revival struck. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to Christ and were baptized. And now there's 250 Calvary Chapels just in Southern California because there was one church 
that says we're going to love these young people, even though they kind of do dress kind of weird, and even though even these guys have long hair, and even though they have these tie-dye shirts, and even though their music is pretty loud, we're going to love them, and we're going to lead them to Jesus. Let's keep doing that, church. Amen? Let's keep going over the boundaries and reaching the untouchables and the unlovables and bring them to Jesus. So what did we learn this morning? How are we going to be world changers? From John the Baptist and from Jesus himself. Number one, we got to tell people what? Got to tell people the truth. Don't dumb it down. Don't water it down. Tell them the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So I'll help you God. Amen? Number two, be radical and humble. Don't be afraid to be radical for Jesus. Look what he did for you. Be on fire. Don't be a lukewarm Christian. Number three, hmm, be a man or woman of the the spirit. Live a spirit-filled life. There's the power right there. Be people of worship, people of the word, people of thanksgiving, people that are walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit and going in the direction of the spirit of God. Number number four, be a reproducer of your faith. Be fishers of men. Follow Jesus and allow him to give you the power to be, reach out to others and be fishers of men. Next, be a person who helps people. It's not about just getting what you know, getting, 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 getting more for yourself. It's about helping, helping, helping more and more people, because that's the spirit of Christ. Number next, uh, numbers, I think six here. Be a man or woman. Prayer. Realize there's power prayer. Realize you're not just wasting your time when you spend time praying. You are doing things for the kingdom of God. The church moves forward on its knees. And lastly, lastly, be willing to touch the untouchables and love the unlovables. Can I get an amen, church? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. It's so true. Thank you for the examples of these two great men Two of the greatest men that ever lived, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Help us to follow their examples. Help us to be people, Lord, that aren't afraid to tell other people in this world that desperately need it, the truth. The truth of the gospel, the truth of your word, the truth of Jesus Christ. Help us to be people like John the Baptist who are radical and also humble. It's not about us anymore, God. It's about Jesus. He must increase. We must decrease. Help us to be people of the Spirit too, Lord. Help us to walk that Spirit-filled life where we're singing and making melody in our heart, always giving thanks for all things in Christ Jesus and speaking forth your word because your word is just a part of who we are, God. Help us to be fishers of men too, Lord. People that are out there in the darkness shining your light and bringing other people into the light so they too may glorify you, our Father in heaven. Help us to be people too that help. It's not about just getting what we want in this life. It's about giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Help us to be givers, not just takers all the time, Lord. I pray too that we'd follow the example of Jesus and be people that love to just spend time in your presence, Lord. People that love to start our days or end our days in your word and in prayer because there's power in that, Lord. There's power in prayer. God, I pray too that you'd help us to Touch the untouchables and love the unlovables, Lord, because that's what Jesus did. Father, again, just fill us with your Holy Spirit, even this week. Help us to be difference makers for you, God. Help us to be world changers, even this week, for your kingdom, God. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said.